0: This is Kay Tillo. I'm with Kentuckians for Single-Payer Healthcare, and you are listening to Single-Payer Radio on Forward Radio 106.5 FM. Thank you for joining us. Today we're going to speak about what is single-payer healthcare and just why do we have to have it? You know, there are those who say... I just want everybody to have coverage. I want everyone to have care. I do not care how we do it. You know, what kind of health care reform we have isn't really important to me, whether we patch up the Affordable Care Act and make it better or do the German plan or whatever other plan is available. It doesn't matter to me. I just think we should have a good plan that covers everyone. It's really, really, really important that people understand what a particular reform policy will result in because what we face is a time in which lots and lots of people make big money off of healthcare, and they're looking towards a system that will increase or sustain their profits rather than looking at what is the best system that will take care of our people. So we have a tendency for everyone who talks about it to insist that the plan that they advocate will indeed cover everyone and do the best thing for everybody. So that's why we have to get to the bottom of it. What is it that we have to have in a plan in order to make sure that all of our people are covered, that people are covered for all of the medically necessary things, including dental and eyeglasses and hearing aids and rehab and long-term care and mental health and all of the things that are really crucial to a good healthcare system. And we have to make certain that we have a plan that is going to work to include everyone and is going to remove all of the financial barriers from the system. Those things are really key. Single-payer healthcare is a plan devised by an organization called Physicians for a National Health Program. And in about 1989, they put forward a plan that was uh, printed in a prestigious medical journal that laid out what we needed to do in order to solve the healthcare woes that we have in our country. Basically a single payer plan is called that because it gets all of the money into one stream and cuts out the waste and the unnecessary middlemen that are making the system too complex. Single payer means that we have one public fund. Every penny pays a little. Uh, all of us in the bottom 95% would be paying much less than we currently pay for health care. And the money would be paid to the hospitals and the doctors from uh, that f- fund by cutting out the insurance industry we would cut out a tremendous amount of the waste that we put into it. It's approximately up to 20 percent goes into the administrative waste and the profits and the mechanisms that the insurance industry uses in order to make certain they have the profits. You know, they uh, have a lot of mechanisms in which they deny care or Question uh, the physician or decide that certain things are not necessary or limit the choice or force you to pay copays, etc. All of that is removed so that the physician and the patient decide what care is necessary and everyone gets the care they need. There's no deductibles and no copays, no coinsurance no payment at all at the point of service. So that when you go to the doctor's office, they don't ask uh, what is your coverage and how will you pay? They ask where does it hurt and what do you need? And single payer can transform our healthcare system into one that is patient focused, service focused, and that removes the profits from the system, allowing all of the funds that we have to be used for care. Single-payer health care is also called Medicare for all, or as we like to put it, improved Medicare for all. That's because the Medicare system has a couple of really good things about it. Everybody pays into it a little bit. And everybody is included so that when you reach the age of 65, you are automatically eligible for this benefit. And that universal coverage, at least for those at that age, is one of the features uh, we want. And that's why we want Medicare for all. But our current Medicare plan is not good enough. Our current Medicare plan does not cover many many of the things we need Uh, drugs are not adequately covered and people fall into the donut hole or cannot afford their drugs because they still cost too much and long-term care is not included or very minimally just post-hospitalization and that's key so medicare doesn't cover long-term care it needs to it doesn't cover eyeglasses and hearing aids and many of the other things. And Medicare also has some co-pays and some deductibles and uh, a monthly premium, all of which make it not totally the plan that we want. So that's why when we call single payer Medicare for all, we like to call it improved Medicare for all because the plan that we propose will indeed improve Medicare and then make that available to everyone. There are those who assert that we can't afford an improved Medicare for all or a single payer plan. Well, the problem is we can't afford the plan that we have now. Indeed, the truth is that we can't afford our health care and the kind of health care we need unless we do go to a single payer model because the insurance industry and the other profiteers within our system are taking a big hunk of the money that is needed in order to be able to expand the care. So we can't just throw more money at it. We can't just allocate additional funds and say that that will fix our healthcare system because the barrier to the healthcare system is there in the form of the for-profit hospitals, the uh, drug industry, which has to be reined in, and the insurance companies that are impeding care in every way that they can. You know, they have a philosophy called skin in the game. That's their ugly term for the way in which insurance industry tries to lower the cost that it pays. That's not what we need. We don't need for people to have to pay more money. That's what's denying care to people. What we need is to have it free at the point of access so that people get in for preventive care. They get early care and they get the care that they need. And we don't have some middlemen dipping into the funds that we have and taking what they need. You know, the profits of the insurance companies have gone way up since the Affordable Care Act was passed in 2010. They are doing very well, and they have not solved the problems that we have. We have about 20 million more people that are covered under the Affordable Care Act, but we still have 30 million who are not covered, and even worse, many of those who have coverage cannot afford their care in spite of their insurance. So our healthcare system costs about twice what the per capita cost is in the other industrialized countries. So we're paying more and we're getting less. And if we are to change that, and get the benefits we deserve and rein in the costs, then we have to go to a single payer system and cut out the insurance industry profits and waste and unnecessary administrative things. Underinsurance has been growing in our country since the Affordable Care Act was passed. That's defined as uh, people who Pay greater than 10% of uh, their income in health care. And uh, that has increased so that we have gone up to 23% of our people who are now in that category. An increasing number of people have high deductible plans, meaning that the insurance company doesn't start paying until the person has paid. 500 a 1000 even $5,000. And the high deductible plans are now responsible for people going without care because they cannot afford to use their plans. What good is insurance if one cannot use it because the payment or the deductible is too heavy a burden to bear? Under a single-payer plan, there are no deductibles, no co-pays, no payment at the point of service. In the United States, we are paying more, but we are not getting the outcomes that should go with that cost. Let's take for an example, the issue of maternal mortality. In our country, African Americans have a rate of maternal deaths, 40 per 100,000 live births. That's extremely high, it's terribly high. Native Americans, 29 per 100,000 live births. For whites, it is 12 per 100,000 live births, and even that is double what the maternal mortality rate is in Canada. We absolutely are paying more, but getting less, not getting the quality of care that we need. An improved Medicare for All plan means that we will stop wasting our money. Uh, Let's look at the kind of waste that we have within the for-profit insurance industry. Uh, The overhead for Anthem. You know, we have that here in Kentucky. Anthem has a 13.3% overhead. Money that does not go in to healthcare, but they, they keep out for administration and profit. Humanus is higher, it's 15.6%. That's our money, it doesn't go to care. Aetna, 16%. United Healthcare, 16.9% for United Healthcare, and 18.4% for Cigna. So that's the kind of money that goes into these insurance industry. Now, if we had a Medicare for all plan, Medicare's overhead is about 2.3%. Look at the money that we could put into the care. Among 17 industrialized countries, the United States ranks at the bottom, number 17 in life expectancy. But we find that once Americans reach the age of 65, where everyone is now covered under Medicare, that goes up and people are no longer at the bottom. We are now coming in, uh, as good as the second or third space. So getting coverage to people, getting universal coverage can mean so much in terms of what we do for our people. A single payer universal healthcare system will reduce the racial disparities that are so prevalent now in our society. Uh, Dr. Ed Weisbart from St. Louis has done some studies and has determined that uh, once people go on dialysis, blacks and whites have the same rate of survival. Uh, Blacks survive longer than whites within the VA system which is a universal system that covers everyone. And once people reach the age of 65, the racial disparities lessen and the mortality rates quickly match across races. So what we have to do for certain is make sure that everyone has coverage and that will go a long way to reducing the inequality within our society. A single payer improved Medicare for all system would improve Medicare in the following ways. It would eliminate all the financial barriers. There would be no deductibles, no copays, no coinsurance, and it would improve the benefits so that they were comprehensive and included coverage for dental and hearing aids, and glasses and uh, long term care. It would also expand Medicare. That means it would include everybody in the entire country and it would include Congress. It would eliminate the wasteful overhead. We would negotiate the drug prices, forcing them to sell because um, the Medicare plan would be the only buyer in the whole country. And it means everybody would be in and p- keep their health insurance coverage for life, even if changing jobs. It would do away with the problem that we have that when we have employer based health care, uh, if you get sick and are unable to work, then your coverage goes away just at the time that you need it. Uh, we would have coverage from cradle to grave or from womb to tomb, and uh, everybody would have good and comprehensive coverage. The good news is that with all of that improvement in the care that we have, um, we could afford it. That is the savings that we would get by cutting out the waste and the profits in the system would be more than enough to improve coverage for everyone and extend it to everybody who doesn't have it. That's the single payer mechanism. We use what is formerly wasted to give care and to improve the care. One economist has done a study that says the improvements in the coverage and the additional expenses would amount to about a 12% increase, but that the savings that we would get from uh, reducing the waste would uh, make up for that, or more than make up for that, in about the uh, in the area of 17 or 18%. There are some who assert that we don't need to go to single payer health care. We simply have to expand Medicaid to the states that have not yet enacted the Medicaid expansion. And they say that would uh, solve the problem, and why do we need to go to uh, a single-payer system? Indeed, it's true that we made some gains with the expansion of Medicaid. We in Kentucky know that better than anyone else. We had about half a million people who were able to get Medicaid coverage due to the expansion of Medicaid that happened under the Affordable Care Act. So that was good, but you know, it's not good enough. It's not good enough when people are put into a a plan that pays the physician, the hospital, the provider less than the private insurance pays. It puts the people in that plan at a disadvantage. For instance, only 34% of children in Medicaid were able to get an appointment with a specialist, according to one of the studies that's available through PNHP. That's not right. If the doctor is paid less, then those doctors who have only Medicaid patients will not be able to afford to stay in practice. And what does that do in terms of how the patient is treated? We know that it's not going to be equal. Medicaid is a plan that is based on income, and only the poorest people can use it. And even at that, people on Medicaid are left with a lien against their property, uh, supposedly to be paid back should they ever strike it rich. But Medicare, Medicaid isn't good enough. It's a poor plan for poor people. It does not cover everything. It will pay for you to get the tooth pooled, but not to get the crown or to get it fixed. In other words, it's not good enough. It's not the standard that we should set. No, we don't want them to take it away. Uh, we do not want a repeal of the Affordable Care Act. We want a replacement with a plan that will be better. And uh, our uh, Medicaid in Kentucky has expanded tremendously, but it's also also tremendously expensive for the state. So Medicaid is paying about $12 billion a year. We don't know what that will mean as uh, the state budget uh, faces a lot of challenges in the future another problem with Medicaid is that it inhibits people from being able to take better jobs if one is working at a very very low rate and henceforth eligible to receive coverage under Medicaid and uh, a better job comes along but would put them out of the category where they would lose that eligibility then it's a hindrance to people being able to progress and to make higher wages. It is not a good plan. Means-tested plans are not good plans. They have a two-tier system where you are only eligible when you are at a certain income. And because the wealthy people are not in it, it's not as good. They're not at all even Uh, cognizant of the problems that exist within it. We have another problem in that Medicaid has been taken over by the for-profit industry. It used to be a publicly financed program. Now the profiteers in the insurance industry have found a way to make money on it and uh, indeed almost all of Medicaid is now uh, turned over to the private insurance industry Uh, People who get Medicaid have to bid on a plan, but uh, all of the plans are for profit now. That means that they make more profit when they deny service, which sets up the structure against the patient and for the profiteers. So expanding Medicaid uh, to the states that did not expand it would not really solve the problem. We need a single-payer plan in order to be able to do that. There are some who propose a public option as the solution to our healthcare problems. They suggest that if only there were the ability to buy into a public plan, public healthcare being more efficient, Uh, more people would buy in and it would put the insurers out of business and that that would solve the problem. So we can ease into single payer by simply going to a public option if only that were true. The problem is that a public option leaves in place the entire structure of the privately financed health insurance industry and all of the mechanisms that make our system so terribly expensive. So adding one additional plan to this system isn't going to make much change. A single-payer plan will bring universal coverage and absolutely cover everyone. A public option will not do that. It will simply allow people to buy into it, and many people will not be able to afford to do that. A single-payer plan would cover all medically necessary services. A public option would probably be similar to Medicare, and unfortunately our Medicare covers only about 50% of the expenses of the people who are enrolled in it. It is not sufficient to give good enough care. A single-payer plan will provide the patient uh, to have a free choice of their doctors and their hospitals. That's not true of the public option. It would probably mimic the private plans, which try to limit their costs by limiting the network of physicians and hospitals and other facilities that are available. A single-payer plan would redirect the savings from the waste that is in the private insurance industry, so that we could use that money to expand care, and there would be no net increase in health spending. The public option will not do that, because it leaves intact the whole wasteful system that makes our health care system the most expensive one in the world. The public option would face financial failure unless it emulated the private insurer's efforts to avoid unprofitable patients and impose burdensome co-payments and deductibles and narrow networks and utilization review requirements. Uh, That indeed is what happened to the co-ops. Remember, there were co-ops established under the Affordable Care Act but they did not survive, they were not ruthless enough in uh, cheating on the patients to be able to make it through and they could not compete against the power of the insurance industry that controls the market. The large scale savings and cost control that would be available to a single payer plan would not be available under a public option such things as global budgeting of hospitals, bulk purchasing of drugs, negotiated fee schedules with physicians. These things assure that a single payer plan is sustainable under the long term. Such things are not available to a public option, which is just one more insurance plan on the market that has no ability to make the changes that need to be made to bring the costs under control. Let's take a look where some of the money goes in our healthcare system. While we have so many who cannot afford their care, the people at the top of the system are raking it in. There's a study uh, done by Equilar and was reported on in Becker's Hospital Review with the 2018 CEO, salaries in the healthcare industry and I'll just give a few of these to give you a sense of where the money goes the head of pfizer made 26.17 million the head of centene made 25.26 million the head of johnson and johnson made over 22 million the head of Molina healthcare you know Molina is the new one in Kentucky that has taken over the passport health system and has the medicaid contract the head of Molina made 19.74 million in 2018 the head of Bristol-Myers Squibb made over 18 million the head of Cigna 17.55 million. The head of Express Scripts, 15.9 million. The head of Abbott Laboratories, 15.62 million. The head of Gilead Sciences, 15.44 million. The head of Humana, our hometown healthcare company, Bruce Broussard made 14.87 million. The head of Eli Lilly, 14.5 million. The head of HCA Healthcare, that's Hospital Corporation of America, made 13.71 million. The head of Cardinal Health made 10.99 million. The head of Tenant Healthcare, that's another for-profit hospital chain, made $3.65 million. That's some of the money that we could put into real care if we went to a national single-payer healthcare system. Now let's look at the other side of the picture. A recent report by Healthcare Insider, by Dan Grunberg, says a survey shows that a majority of U.S. adults are concerned about medical bankruptcy and debt. 56% of U.S. adults said they were either somewhat or very concerned that a health situation in their household could lead to bankruptcy or debt. Nearly 3 in 10, 28% of the respondents in the poll said that they carry medical debt. And of those who reported having medical debt, 65% had debts exceeding $1,000. 3 in 10 reported having received a surprise medical bill in the past year. And all of this is on top of a lack of savings in our current families. Just over half, 57% of United States adults said they had savings to pay their medical bills. 21% said they have no savings. 29% had $3,000 or less and only 28%, more than 3000 Among all the respondents, 32% had $500 or less in savings and 21% had no savings at all. So these are the reasons why people are skipping healthcare. Just under half of U.S. adults postponed health care services in the past year. Of those who postponed their health care services, 32% said they didn't seek health care because they couldn't afford it. Of those who reported no health insurance, more than half, 53%, said they could not afford it. We are living in a situation in which people are denying themselves health care. You know, some people try to tell us that uh, the emergency uh, departments are open and under the law they must serve anyone who is in a bad situation and therefore everyone gets health care if they need it. It just isn't so. I had a neighbor who had a heart condition that Made her go to the emergency room when she was having chest pain. They took good care of her, and she came home, and her bill was for thousands of dollars. And I spoke to her afterwards and said, "How are you doing?" She says, "I'm fine, but it happens. If it happens again, I'll just have to die because I can't afford health care." She's trying to pay off that healthcare bill on a salary she makes working as a manager at McDonald's. She can't afford healthcare and will deny that care to herself because the bill has endangered her her family and her ability to sustain her household. This is the tragic situation within the United States and why we really, really have to do something about it It does not happen that people go into bankruptcy because of medical debt in other industrialized countries. And it's time that we did something about that. This is Kay Tillow speaking to you on Single Payer Radio. I'm with Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare and you can find more information about our organization or join us or work with us at kyhealthcare.org. Single-payer radio comes to you every week with a show on Monday at 2 p.m., Tuesday at 7 a.m., and Wednesday at 11 a.m., right here on Forward Radio 106.5 FM we've been talking about why it is that our nation has to go to a full single-payer healthcare system rather than to simply patch up the system that we currently have. And there are many reasons for that and it's important to understand that. But one of the reasons is the cost. Let's look at our costs in the United States compared with other industrialized countries who have healthcare systems that do better than ours in outcomes, in longevity, in covering everyone, in uh, not denying people care because of ability to pay, etc. People do not go bankrupt because of medical bills in these other countries. That's unique to the U.S. That's one of our ways in which we are exceptional. These are costs per capita for health care annually. Uh, the entire cost, everything that is paid. In the United Kingdom, the figure is a little over $4,000 annually. It's $4,270. Japan and France... And Canada also will pay something a bit over $4,000, but something less than $5,000 per year. That's per capita annual health care costs for Japan, France, and Canada. In Sweden, the cost is $5,500 annually. In Holland, it's $5,300 In Germany, $5,700. And in Switzerland, a little over $8,000. These are figures for annual health care costs per capita in uh, countries around the world. The US cost is about double the average of those countries. In 2017, it was $10,720 per person. So, the upshot is that we are paying more, but we are getting less. So, a solution that says, well, we just need to put more money into it, isn't the right solution. Uh, we are playing, paying currently plenty of money to have a perfectly good healthcare system. In, be- in fact, the best healthcare system in the world if we would just go to a system that does not waste the money on profits and overhead and administrative waste, and instead allocates these funds to upgrade the care for everyone and to expand it to those who are not covered. There are some who suggest that the high costs in the United States for healthcare are due to overuse of the healthcare system that just isn't so. Uh, let's take a look for instance at physicians visits per year and compare the United States to other country. In the United States the average person sees a physician four times a year. In the UK the figure is five times a year. In France a little over six times a year In Canada, with a single-payer system, the average person sees a physician 6.8 times per year. In Australia, 7.7 times per year. And in Japan, they see their doctors quite frequently. The average is 12.6 visits to a physician per person annually in Japan. So the reason for the high cost uh, in our country isn't that we're going to the doctor too much or getting too much care. The figures are similar if you take the issue of number of days of uh, stay within a hospital. Other countries with better outcomes than we have and less expense have more patient days annually uh, per person. Some say that in the U.S., well, we, we give too much care, we give too much high-tech care. It isn't so. Let's take a look at end-stage renal disease and see who is getting the functioning transplants and compare our country to others. In the United States, 29% with renal failure get a functioning transplant. It's higher in Canada. France, it's higher, 44%. Australia, it's higher, 45%. And Spain and the United Kingdom both, it's 52%. So our system is not poor expensive because we're giving too much care. Indeed, it looks like in these very important area of renal, in stage renal disease, we are getting much less care. What makes our healthcare system cost so much is the extent to which private for profit entities, insurance companies, hospitals, nursing homes, dialysis centers, and others have their finger in the pie and are causing an escalation of the costs and an escalation of the administrative waste. As they find the best ways for them to make a profit from it. Let's take a look at what's happening with the facilities within healthcare. 10% of our general hospitals are now for profit, 43% of our specialty hospitals are for profit. Inpatient psychiatric care is now 58% for profit. Hospice Hospice, that very important area of care, is now 69% in the hands of for-profit entities. Home care, 75% in the hands of for-profit entities. Skilled nursing facilities are 81% owned by for-profits. Dialysis is 93% owned by for-profits. And freestanding labs and imaging centers are a hundred percent owned by for-profit entity. These for-profit hospitals and other facilities charge more and have worse outcomes. Let's just take a look at a small piece of it. For-profit hospitals have the highest readmission rates for every condition. More people with pneumonia have to be readmitted after having been released by a for-profit hospital. More of the people who've had a coronary artery bypass graft have to be readmitted after they've been in a for-profit hospital. More of the people who have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease have to be readmitted. More of the for-profit hospital joint replacements have to be readmitted and more of those who've had congestive heart failure. So the for-profits are not getting us better care, they're giving us worse care. The for-profit dialysis centers have death rates at 9% higher than those that are not-for-profit. We can save money and improve care by removing the for-profit entities from our healthcare system. That's why the Physician's Proposal for a National Health Plan, a single-payer health care system, proposes that we take over the for-profit hospitals and dialysis centers, that they either become not-for-profits or they can uh, uh, become public entities, but that we should not have for-profit facilities within our system because they cost more because they give worse care a single-payer health care system would remove the for-profit insurance industry from our health care and would publicly fund health care so that we maintain all of that uh, that would go for profit and for administrative waste and use that instead to expand the care and to give better care to everyone. You know, Marcia Angel, she's the former editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, had some very wise things to say about our healthcare system. She's very knowledgeable and she said that costs and care don't go together in our current system. In other words, currently, to add more care, we have to increase costs. And if we cut the costs in our current health care system, we also are cutting the care. This was the dilemma of the Affordable Care Act. They had to put a lot more money into the system in order to subsidize health plans and in order to expand the Medicaid. They claimed that the competition would cut the costs, but it didn't. The costs went sky high. So now those who mispurchase their insurance are paying a great deal of money, and many of them paying more than they can afford, and who go without care even though they have coverage. So if we are to make it right, in other words, if we are to rein in the costs and yet expand the care we have to go to a single payer system. That's what Marsha Angel taught us, that uh, you can't do these things without removing the profits that always continue to add costs to the system and add the administrative waste that makes it possible for them to make the profits. Join me in taking a look at what Profits mean in terms of nursing home care. It was a study that was done in 2019 that looked at the number of nursing staff hours per patient per day. You know, that's the key to quality care, whether it's a hospital or a nursing home is the, the extent to which there is nursing care to make sure that the patients are getting the attention that they need. This study compared for-profit nursing homes with not-for-profit and found that the number of nursing staff hours per patient day were significantly lower in the for-profit nursing homes. 3.33 hours per day per patient and 3.83 hours per day in not for profit nursing homes. Now, even the not for profit nursing homes aren't so well staffed. But the fact that one of the things that profits do is reduce the hours of nursing care is reason enough to say, the for profit nursing homes cannot be entrusted with our loved ones. Dr. Steffi Woolhandler and David Himmelstein are two of the founders of Physicians for a National Health Program. And they've done a lot of the studies that look into what we need to do in order to have a healthcare system that will really work. And they have written a lot about what it means to have for-profit investor-owned care and they say it better than I could, so I'm going to read you what they said in one of their articles. The most serious problem with investor-owned care is that it embodies a new value system that severs the communal roots and Samaritan traditions of hospitals, makes doctors and nurses the instruments of investors, and views patients as commodities. In for-profit settings, avarice competes with beneficence for the soul of medicine. Investor ownership marks the triumph of greed. In our society, some aspects of life are off limits to commerce. We prohibit the selling of children and the buying of wives, of juries and kidneys. Tainted blood is an inevitable consequence of paying blood donors. Even sophisticated laboratory tests cannot compensate for blood that is sold rather than given as a gift. Like blood, healthcare is too precious, intimate and corruptible to entrust to the market. We began today's radio show by asking the question, why is it that we, as a nation, have to go to a single-payer healthcare system rather than simply patching up the current system that we have based on private insurers? And I think from today's examples, we can see the reason clearly. If we want to have coverage for everyone, if we want to have universal care, then we have to remove the private for-profit insurance industry, and that is what we do with a single-payer system. We cannot leave the for-profit insurers in the system because the mechanisms that they set up to secure their profit are the same mechanisms that deny coverage and care. Insurance companies must, by law in this country, if they're for-profit, work under corporate law to maximize their profit. That's what corporations do. That mechanism works against the patient. By denying care, they maximize profit. By limiting care, by denying coverage, by delaying authorization, for approval for treatments and, uh, uh, you know, doctor's orders. All of the things that maximize profit work to the benefit of the shareholders. And all of those things work to the detriment of the patient. So the profit interests work in contradiction to what a patient care system ought to do. To what a healthcare system ought to do. It needs to be humane, universal, free at the point of service so that there is no one denied care because of inability to pay. And that's why we have to go to a single payer healthcare system, also called an improved and not for profit Medicare for all. It's important to note that it's not a big change in healthcare because our delivery system will remain the same. In other words, those who say it's going to be hugely disruptive to go to a single-payer system don't understand or are trying to exaggerate the difficulties. We will not be changing the doctors. You will be having free choice of doctors. We will not be changing the hospital. You will have free choice of hospital. The delivery system will remain intact. What changes is where the doctor and the hospital send the bill. And that's not such a difficult thing to do. You can transmit that through an email or whatever. It's a very simplified mechanism. You know, when we went to a publicly funded Medicare system for our seniors in 1965, it was done within 10 months, very simply, and that was in the day before we had computers. So they had three by five note cards and a filing system, and they made a transition to where our seniors would be covered under Medicare very quickly and without any disturbance in the delivery of care. Delivery of care will not be interfered with. In fact, for the first time with single payer care, we'll really be able to choose our physicians and our physicians will be freed from um, answering to the insurance industry which impedes their ability to practice their proficiency profession as they know how to do it so it's good for patients it's good for physicians and it's going to be a good system and we the people can make it happen we have to pass national legislation that will put it into effect but we need to first agree that the way we get the system we want is through the kind of reform we've been discussing this is Kay Tillo with Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare. You've been listening to Single Payer Radio. We invite you uh, to take a more close look at um, Single Payer Healthcare. Our website is kyhealthcare.org. We have meetings twice a month. They used to be in person at the downtown library here in Louisville. We now meet on internet meetings twice a month, on the first and third Thursdays of the month. If you would like to be a part of that, just get in touch with us through our website, and we'll invite you to participate in the meetings that we do. We bring programs uh, throughout Kentucky to those groups and organizations who are interested in learning about this, and. We'd be glad to do a internet presentation to any group that would like to have one. There are many things that each person can do to help to build the movement. There's currently a campaign to uh, ask mayors to endorse a Medicare for All. That was started by a couple of mayors in California. And I think there are now mayors of about 16 cities who uh, have endorsed a Medicare for all. Certainly our cities cannot solve their healthcare problems on their own. We need this national plan. Neither can states do it. Our state is trying, but we still have perhaps a quarter of a million people without coverage and many with coverage who really are not getting the care that they need. Uh, We can preserve our rural hospitals and our safety net by going to a single payer system that would include global budgeting, that would assure all of the institutions that we need are kept functioning and available to serve our patients. This radio program and all our other programs are archived on forwardradio.org, go to programs, and then click on single payer. And you can access any of the programs that we've had recently. And we thank you very much for joining us on single payer radio. Stay healthy, stay safe, wear your mask, and we'll get through this together and build a system we can all be proud of. Thank you for joining us. This is Forward Radio 106.5 FM on your dial.